Let's turn in our Psalms to 119th Psalm. And we got through verse 56. We'll pick up with verse 57. And it's written in sections of eight verses in each section. And this section has to do with the marks of a true saint. The marks of a true saint. So let's look at verse 57. Uh, The psalmist said, Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. The first thing we see in this 57th verse is that he claims God, he claims the Lord as his portion, as his greatest treasure. You know, you and I need to come to the place that God is our greatest treasure. Back in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 10, and I'll read a verse of scripture for you. And verse 9, it says this, Wherefore Levi hath no part nor inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance, according as the Lord thy God promised him. Said Levi, said the Lord is his inheritance. And you know those that are, uh, you and I are really in the sense of the house of Levi, because though we're not literally, they were the priestly family, and we all in the New Testament are, are a kingdom of priests, and we all have our priestly function before God. And the Bible says we can exercise that. Peter tells us in First Peter chapter 2 that we're a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a peculiar people. And he is our special treasure, uh, the same as for David and for, and for uh, the sons of Levi. And by the way, here's another slant on this, that uh, not only is he our treasure and our portion, but we find that we are something to the Lord. We are His portion too. In Deuteronomy 32 verse 9, listen to this verse. It says, For the Lord's portion is His people. It says, Jacob is the lot of His inheritance. Now then, we not only have the Lord as our inheritance and our portion, but God has us as His inheritance. And Jacob of old, you say, well, that that applies to Israel. It says, For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the lot of His inheritance. Well, That's true, that's in the Old Testament, but look in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, and verse 18. It says this, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. And listen, And what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. It says that God has the saints as His inheritance. So not only is Jacob of old God's inheritance and God's portion, But New Testament Christians, you see that verse? What is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Now, if that doesn't show you God's condescension of grace for him to be not only our portion, but for but for you and I to be his portion, his portion and his inheritance. So this makes us see that God loves us and cares uh, a great deal about us in that we're his inheritance, we're his portion, the same as he is ours. And that, that's a two-way thing. Uh, in the Song of Solomon, the Bible says, I am uh, my beloved's and my beloved is mine. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And then it says in another place, my beloved is mine and I am his. So we, he's not only ours, but we are his. He is ours because uh, we have claimed Him as our Savior. And we're His because He's bought and purchased us with His own blood. So the Bible says that you're, you're His possession. So back to our psalm now. Let's look at this. 
in verse one, uh, verse fifty, I might say verse one because it's the first verse of the section. But I'll try to keep the verses straight. It's verse fifty-seven. It says, "I have said that I would keep thy words." In other words, the true saint of God wants to be obedient. I have said that I will keep his words. He says, Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. In other words, he wants to follow the Lord. You know, I, I feel for a person that does not want to be obedient to God. You know, obedience is one of the best things we can give God. is to obey. We sing a song, Trust and obey, for there is no other way. Trust means faith, to believe, to accept his word, to accept his promises. And obey means to follow his word, to be obedient to his word. And then... We find, uh, by the way, in the scripture, it says to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. That's what uh, Samuel told old Saul when he had failed to do what God told him to do and in obedience to God. And he says, obey is better than sacrifice. To hearken, to listen is better than anything that we can give God. To hear his word and to obey his word. All right, let's look at the verse 58 now. I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. Now, here's, here's what we find here. I entreated. That means that prayer is a vital part of his life. Prayer is a vital part of his life. Prayer should be a vital part of your life and mine. James 5 verse 16 says, And pray one for another. We're to pray for one another. And then in verse 59, notice what he says. Uh, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I thought and I turned. He thinks and acts like the Bible teaches. Do we think and act like God's Word teaches us to do? Remember the prodigal son. It says that when he came to himself, he said, In my father's house there's bread and enough to spare, and I will arise and go to my father and say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And by the way, he knew what he ought to do, and then he not only did that, but he turned, and he uh, thought on his ways, and he turned. Sometimes we have to come to ourselves before we realize what God is doing with us. He thinks and acts like the Bible teaches. The Bible says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. God calls us to reason with himself. The Bible says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his uh, his thoughts and let him turn to me he says i will have mercy and i will abundantly pardon but see god is ready for people to think and to turn god's word gets us to thinking what is right notice i thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies he did it god's way didn't he and then in verse 60 i made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments he was zealous to do the lord's will Remember after Christ's resurrection, it says that Peter and, and uh, John, when they heard that Jesus uh, had risen and they didn't believe that it w- had happened, and uh, the women gave them the message about the tomb, and they ran, it says. They ran and looked in. And they saw that it was just as the women said. We find in the, in the book of Acts chapter 8 and verse 29... It says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him. See? When Philip knew the Holy Spirit led him, he ran thither to him. And he joined himself to the chariot and he began to preach from Isaiah chapter 53, Jesus. 
He says, who's this prophet speaking about himself or of some other man? And the Bible says that he began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. He ran and joined himself to the chariot. And he, the man was reading from the book of Isaiah. And Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I except some, some man should guide me? God has given uh, the ministry of teaching and preaching to guide people. And then we have a great teacher, the Holy Spirit, that really teaches you what is taught from the pulpit if the Word of God is taught. Because unless what I say is underlined and highlighted or enlightened by the Holy Spirit, it's just me. But if God takes His Word and makes you see that it's God's Word of truth, then you can see the Holy Spirit's teaching you through the human servant or minister, teacher. Uh, John says we have an unction from the Holy One. We need not that any man should teach us. But that doesn't mean that that the teaching ministry is not there because God ordained the teaching ministry. But on the other hand, the real teacher is the Holy Spirit who through the teaching and preaching of human instrumentality helps you to believe and to see and understand the things of God. And also, the Holy Spirit teaches you as you read the Word for yourself and as you apply it to yourself and and you meditate in the Word. The Holy Spirit teaches you. Have you ever read the... The Bible, and I'm sure you have, you read it in a certain place and you, something just jumps out to you and say, boy, that really fits my case. That really helps me. It's just like a personal note to you, isn't it? That God said, this is for you. Well, that's the way it needs to be read. And just, uh, you know, some people just read it so fast you just go through it. Well, that's one way to read it. And you should read and read with progression. But on the other hand, sometimes it takes time to just read it and read a verse and digest every word in it. Let it all come forth to you and you'll see things that you've never seen before. And that's one way that we need to look at it as we study the Bible. If you're here in Sunday school, many times we do that. We'll read a portion of Scripture and we'll look at a word or two and then we'll come back and we'll look at some more words in the same verse. And then it really jumps out to you and is meaningful. But he thinks and acts like the Bible teaches. He's zealous to do the Lord's will. He's ready to go. Now then, let's get back to verse um, 61. It says, The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy law. He was willing to suffer loss. In verse 51, the enemy had ridiculed him. In this verse, they had robbed him. And not just one person, but bands of the wicked. But what did he say? But I have not forgotten thy law. I wonder what that means. He not only remembered it, but he remembered what God would do to the wicked. I wonder if he had in mind Galatians 6 verse 7 where it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That there's a law of harvest for the wicked. There's a law of harvest that is in effect for all of us. In the book of uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, let me read verses 12 and 13. It says, Though a sinner do evil an hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before Him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. In other words, you're going to have to reap what you sow. And if you do what God wants you to do, He will bless you. My wife and I were talking, uh, well, we always talk about this same subject too. Hasn't God been good to us? Today, more than one time. We talk about how the Lord has been so good to us. 
And you know, sometimes if we see the goodness of God, we won't think of, of too much of our trials and of, of uh, the the uh, uh, pressures and things of life. Think of how God good is, the good God is to you. We'll find that in, before we finish our teaching. So no, notice verse. Uh, Uh, 62 now, at midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. At midnight I will rise. Here's earnestness and enthusiasm to rise up at midnight. Time to communicate and to commune with God has no, knows no bounds at all. Doesn't hurt if you wake up in the middle of the night to pray, does it? Doesn't hurt if you wake up early in the morning or, or late at night or whenever or during the day. See, time to commune with God has no bounds. But he says, at midnight, I will arise and give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. This would put to shame a lot of lazy Christians who can't get up in time for Sunday school, wouldn't it? If this guy rose up at midnight, and some of the rest of us won't even rise up at midday, (laughs) so it puts us to shame. Uh, early at the sepulchre they came in Luke 24 verse 22 they were early the women came early Psalm 63 verse 1 says early will I seek thee the first thing that should be upon our minds of a morning when you awake from your sleep is God and thanking God for a new day the last person the last thing that should be on your mind when you go to bed and go to sleep is God for thankfulness for the day go to bed with his Thoughts and words and the Word of God in your heart and mind and wake up in the same way. The Bible says, In His law will I, what? listen, meditate day and night. And the one that says that, Psalm 1 says, And He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth His fruit in His season. His leaf also shall not wither, and listen, whatsoever He doeth shall prosper. See, God prospers you. You say, well, you know, he hasn't prospered me. I haven't made a thousand dollars. I haven't made a hundred thousand. I haven't made ten. I haven't, you know, I just barely skimp along. Listen, prosperity is to be measured in more than just money. Life and health and strength, being here and having God's blessings is a great, uh, as much more than the dollar amount. I tell you what, when you have health and strength, and we're going to pray for our brother, for our brother, for Troy. That God will use these treatments that he's about to take to do something about his cancer situation. And, and you know, God can do things. He can do things. The Bible says he's all powerful. And so let's pray for him. Now then, notice the next thing. It says, I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. He chooses the right kind of companions. You see, it makes a difference as to what kind of companions you have. I love these brethren and these people that we have in the church. You're my companions. You're the ones that I rub shoulders with, so to speak. Men of the world and people that are boisterous and uh, speak roughly and unkind and and uh, do things that uh, I don't agree with. I'm not their companion. I pray for them. I witness to them. I preach to them. And I hope they repent and turn to God. I hope they hear and turn. I thought and turned. As it said in verse 59. But the thing about it is, companionship is a different thing. That means you want people of like faith and practice. You want people that, that believe in what you uh, believe and stand for what you believe and uh, stand for the Word of God. That's your companion. 
I love to see these young men together because I know they're good Christian brothers here. I've been looking at them two or three times tonight thinking how great great it is to see John and Michael and Craig here all together. And these other young people behind them on the next row and all over uh, through the congregation, everywhere on this side and that. And God has a, a way of lining us up with the right people. Let's, let's be joined to the right people and, and first of all be really connected to God's Word and everything will work out all right. That's where people make their mistake. You know, I can't help but under uh, uh, but underscore the fact that God's word is far more important than a lot of people give it credit for. I mean, you know, they say, "Well, I went to church and I heard a sermon." But listen, do you really get what God is saying? Are you willing to listen to it and to follow? Here it says, "I am a companion of all them that fear Thee." He wanted Christian people as his companion. He says, they're the ones that are my companions. And he says, and of them that keep thy precepts, they not only fear thee, but they want to live like you want them to live. You see, there's still such a thing as Christian living. There's still such a thing as living for Jesus. There's still such a thing as you and I uh, wanting to be more what God would have us to be. Church is not something you just come to and after Sunday's over, go on and live like you want to. That's true if you want to live right. But if you don't want to live right, if you want to go live away from God, it's not, that's not the way it works. God has to change you inside to have the right, right desires. Jesus said, blessed are they that do, listen, hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Someone said, I didn't get anything out of it. Well, what was your attitude about it? Were you hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Brother, if you were, you got something out of it. That's the way you get it. It's to have a hunger and thirst. And if you want the Word, if you're desired and you're really wanting it, God will fill your heart with the things of God. Verse 64, look at this one. He says, The earth, O Lord, is full of thy mercy. He sees evidence of God's mercy in every nook and corner. The Bible says He gave us rain from heaven. In Acts 14, verse 17, the Bible says He did not leave Himself without a witness in that He gave us rain from heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 26, Behold the fowls of the air. He tells us to look in the evidence of nature and see God in every nook and corner of the, of the earth and the world. It's full of thy mercy. Teach me thy statutes. He has a desire to know God's word. Teach me. If you want to be taught, you're a subject to be taught. But you know there's some people that don't want to be taught. Now, let me tell you. If you want to be taught, there's something to be taught. But if you think you already know, you won't be taught. There's so many people think that they know everything. The more I study, the more I realize the least I know. And I do try to study a, a great deal. And I find that I, when I'm studying, I find out so many things, I thought, well, how little I knew about all this stuff. And so there's a whole avenue of knowledge that we need to tap in on. And the, the real knowledge is in God's Word. The real thing we need to get is God's Word. The Bible says, now listen carefully. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Listen, that the man of God may be perfect, that means mature and grown up and be filled with wisdom and knowledge, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto, listen, all good works. Someone says, uh, you know, I have to go outside the Bible and I have to go into society and I have to go into this kind of a teaching and this kind of a thing to be filled with good works. You don't have to go anywhere apart from God's Word to be filled with good works. 
I mean, there's no place you need to go. That's where a lot of people have made the mistake. They've gone too far away from God's Word. Instead of getting back into it where the wisdom and counsel and guidance is, they've gone away from it. So we saw the value of God's Word. The Bible says, desire the, Peter says, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. We need to desire. Now let's look at this next section, uh, verses 65 through 72. It says, Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. This section deals with the goodness of God toward us. Look, he says, Thou hast dealt well with thy servant. Can you say God has dealt well with you? Certainly He has. You look at your life and see if God hasn't dealt well with you. You say, oh, I've got this problem and that one. Look around you and you'll find someone with worse. You'll find someone with a lot worse problem than you've got. So when we start complaining, the Bible says, do all things without murmuring and complaining, that you may be blameless and harmless the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Listen, if you do that, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, we can't shine if we're always complaining about situations. We have to ask God's grace and help to overcome them. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word. Listen, it's all in harmony with his word that he deals well with us. His many promises are given to us. It's according to his word that he deals well. That's the measurement of this. The Bible says we know that all things work together for what? Good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose. It doesn't say some things, a few choice things work together for our good. No, it doesn't say that. It says, for we know, we know, we're not guessing about it, that all things work together for good. To them that love God, notice there's two to thems there. To them that love God and to them who are called according to His purpose. And so if you fit in that category, remember it's going to work out for your good. Sometimes we get doubtful and worried and say, well, what purpose does God have in this or that that happens to me? God has a purpose. God has a purpose. I struggle over sermons. I struggle over teaching and preaching and try to get myself uh, in line with what God would have me do. Then I check out my motives and I try to get them right. And then I uh, try to get my mind uh, in God's uh, uh frame of mind what he would have me to think and then sometimes then I'm still fearful but God always works it out for his glory it's kind of like old Elijah you know during the drought and he was sent to the widow woman there it had a little oil in the cruise and a little meal in the barrel and Elijah told her she says I'm going to make a cake for my son and myself and we're going to eat it and die this is all we have and there's a great famine in the land a drought and Elijah said make me a little cake first that, that was as much as saying, you put God first and we'll see what happens. And he wasn't selfish. He's just in the place of God saying, you give God the best first. Make me a little cake first. So she made Elijah a little cake first. And what happened? The Bible says during all that famine and drought, the meal in the barrel wasted not and the oil in the cruise did not fail. And God's words and promises and, and spirit and blessings to us is just like that. An incident that it will never fail. I've been preaching in this church for 37 years, and I've been preaching since 1952, and I've never found that there wasn't plenty of sermons in God's Word. Amen. Brother Randy's talking one day, and he said a preacher told him, he said he'd been in the church about a year and a half, and he says, I preached the whole Bible. Brother, he hadn't touched it. He hadn't touched it. 
I've been preaching since 1952 and I'm still trying to figure out uh, where I can find uh, uh, something in the Bible uh, to preach. And I know there's so much that I haven't preached that I try to find the places that I haven't touched upon. God's Word is full, isn't it? You could preach it the rest of your life and never feel it. It's so inexhaustible. Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and last letter of, of the uh, Greek alphabet. If He's the first and the last, think of all the letters in between. Think of our alphabet. And think of how many books. How many things do you find written in the English language? All of those lot, 26 little letters. Every one of them. How many? Look at the volumes and volumes. So it's inexhaustible, isn't it? And God's Word is so too. It's inexhaustible. John says, it's, if all the world, he said, the world could not contain, the world could not contain the books that should be written of Him. The whole world. Can you imagine that? There's not enough storage space in the whole world to contain what should be written about Jesus. And if we can see how wonderful it is, it will do us good. Notice the verse uh, 66. It says, Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. God is a good teacher, isn't He? And by the way, only a believer is teachable. Say, preacher, that's far out. In spiritual things, it's not. The Bible says, The natural man receiveth not, if he doesn't receive them, he can't be taught. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness in him. Neither can he know them. He can't be taught them. Because they're spiritually discerned. If you want to be taught God's Word, you have to be... The Holy Spirit has to aid in that teaching. And even from the uh, very beginning, at conversion, when you first accept the Lord, He has to open your heart. Holy Spirit has to come in and enlighten the Word to you so that you will believe the Gospel and repent of sin and turn to God. And the gospel then being the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. The Bible says they shall all be taught of God. That'll be a great day. Uh, in John chapter 8, let me read this for you. John chapter 8, verse 43 will show us, and I won't read the whole passage, but we should read 42 through 45 and you'll see, but I want to read this one verse. Jesus said in 43, John 8, 43, Why do you not understand my speech? That's a question. Even because you cannot hear my word. See, these did not listen to Jesus. He says, why can't you understand my speech? Because you can't hear my word. So we find that the uh, Christian is teachable, isn't he? And by the way, in verse 67, he is an effectual and effective and faithful and effective teacher. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I've kept thy word. Sometimes affliction proves that God is dealing with us. You read in Hebrews chapter 12, you'll find verses 6 through 11, where it tells us, uh, what son does he have whom he chasteneth not? Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. The Bible says, if you be without chastisement, you're not sons, but bastards, illegitimate children. And he says, but then... No chastening for the present seemed to be joyous, but grievous. You know, we don't like it, do we? It's grievous. But afterward, listen, it yieldeth that peaceable fruit of righteousness. Listen, unto them that are exercised thereby. If you let God's Word in chastening you do some good for you, and you listen to God's chastening, then it will yield what? That peaceable fruit of righteousness. 
The Bible says in Proverbs 27, verse 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. God's Word, even though it's spoken uh, from a friend, and it may wound, it says, Let thy words be with grace, seasoned with salt. And so they're with grace, but they're seasoned with salt. God's Word will correct us, will it not? Now, I want you to notice something else. It says in verse 68, Thou art good and dost, doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Thou art good and doest good. It's His nature to be and to do good. Notice that. God is good and He does good. And then He says, Teach me thy statutes. If you would mark down every time the word teach me or show me, help me, guide me, you'd find that it's saturated through this psalm as well as all the others and many of the others. So we need to, to let God's Word teach us. And it's spoken of time and time again. You cannot learn without being taught. And I want you to look at verse 69 now. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. The proud may concoct a lie against us, but God can turn that lie into a blessing. Did you know God has a way of turning things around that may seem to be for your detriment? God can turn that lie that's spoken against you into a blessing for you. You say, well, how can good come out of that? God has a way of making it come out. You know how He can do that? Remember the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Uh, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they that are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so on and so forth. And then you get down to the end of them. And it says, Blessed are ye when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. He says, Rejoice. What? Rejoice. Persecution? Rejoice. And be exceeding glad. Listen. You say, that's a, that's, That lie and that persecution is bad for me. No. Jesus said, Rejoice. For great is your reward in heaven. You see the end of it? If, you, if people knew when they're persecuting you, they're just adding to your rewards, they'd quit it right away, wouldn't they? They'd say, I don't want to do that guy any favors. But that's what they're doing. Because Jesus said, when they do it, great is your reward in heaven. So don't worry about your enemies. Don't worry about it when fellows give you a hard time. Just say, well, you know, the Lord said I had a reward in heaven. Just let them keep on. In fact, do it again, because I'll have more of them. Don't worry about it. And then look at this next verse. Uh, verse, uh, by the way, verse 69, we're not through with it. He says, The proud, proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. He was still going to stick to God's Word. And he says he's going to do it with what? His whole heart. Wholehearted obedience to the Word and keeping the Word is of great value. Wholeheartedness about it. Do you know what? I'd rather follow God's Word than all of man's so-called wisdom. I'd rather follow God's Word than all that man can put out there and say, well, you know, this high up and mighty fellow that wrote this book, he's got all the answers. He doesn't have the answers. God has the answers. God's Word has all the answers. But we haven't gone to them enough. And so he says, with my whole heart. The Bible says, keep thy heart. Listen carefully. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Listen, what does it say? Out of your heart are all the issues of life. All the things of life that you have to do with, some, the heart has to be involved in it. So it says, keep thy heart with all diligence. If you want the issues of life, whether it's in your business life, your home life, your married life, your family life, your, your friends, your neighbors, you have to 
Do something about the heart. Keep thy heart with all diligence. Out of it are the issues of life. Look at verse 69 again. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precept with my whole heart. Look at verse 70. It says, Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. We see the results of unbelief. It tends to make us glad that we're God's children. It says, But I will delight in thy law. A lot of things happen to people that are not good, that do not believe in God. It says, But I delight in thy law. So we can find a great pleasure in the fact that that we belong to the Lord. Uh, When we see what the results of unbelief are in the lives of others. You think of the lives of people that are uh, living in sin and will not be turned to God. Well, Randy and I, in our visiting, we see them every day. We see people that, honestly, all they need is to repent of sin and turn to God. And their lives are straightened out. They've got so many problems in the business world. They've got so many problems in, with people in the community. They've got so many problems with every man is just, you know, like an enemy to them. That doesn't work that way. If you want to get your life straightened out, get it straightened out first with God, and then you'll have things, other things straightened out. And people will not do that. They got their priorities wrong. I'm going to make money, and I'm going to get this guy that comes in my shop and my store, and I'll make a profit here and there. Well, you may make a profit on one thing, but you may lose it on the next if you're not right with God. See, God has a way of balancing the books. Then on the other hand, He may let you prosper all uh, really galore, and still have to bring you down at some point in time. But he has a way of taking care of things. You know, God is a good paymaster. Remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt? And they had served 400 years without any pay and made, were slaves and made bricks. And then, then they finally had to make bricks without straw. And you remember the persecution? And there were hard taskmasters set over them. God told him, he says, spoil the Egyptians. He says, you get your reward now. And he says, you take the gold and the silver and everything. It's your payday, brother. They came out with all that gold. And then they made a mistake and they put it in a golden calf, didn't they? Brother, I tell you, people are fickle, aren't they? We never learn. God said, here's all the gold. I want you to have enough to live on. I want you to build a tabernacle, a place of worship. And they took that gold, finally, uh, a lot of it, and built a tabernacle in various ways that it's supposed to be used. But you see, what happens, people still have to be led and guided in the right way. And when old Aaron was there and Moses up on the mountain received the commandments, well, they were uh, disturbed and they said, our pastor's gone away. We don't know when he's coming back. He'll probably never come back. Says so we've got to have gods that, uh, to worship that led us out of Egypt. And, and it, they said to Aaron, up, make us gods that we can worship. So Aaron took all their earrings of gold and all the silver and gold and everything he could find and all the jewels and he threw it in the fire and this cat came walking out. That's what Aaron said. But it didn't happen that way, did it? It says he fashioned it with a graven tool. He made it a molten calf. And then he tried to say it but just walked out. I was preaching that one day and Brother Nichols said, he said, I didn't know the Bible taught evolution. He said, that's what you taught this morning. I said, yeah, I guess it was. He said, you throwed all that gold in the fire? Aaron throwed it all in the fire and out comes this calf walking. That's a pretty good transformation and involved from, from a pile of gold to a calf, wasn't it? But anyway, look at God's Word here. It says in verse uh, 71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. Sometimes it takes uh, this to learn things from God. There are some lessons that we cannot learn without experience. There are some lessons we cannot learn without God's uh, uh 
dealing with us and permitting even Paul, the thorn in the flesh, he says, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. And he said, for this I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And yet God said to him in the midst of that prayer and in the midst of that request for the thorn in the flesh to depart, God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. He says, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, God's grace was taught him even through this affliction. The Bible says, but we glory in tribulation also because we know that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, and experience hope, and hope making not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. So, all through experience. Then the last verse says, The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. The value of God's Word. In Psalm 19 and verse uh, 10, it says, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. The value of God's Word. What did he say? It's better than, it's uh, the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Let me read this for you. And we'll close with this word, verse. Thy words were found, Jeremiah says, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. It says, he found God's word, and he says, I did eat them. God's word is food for the soul. And he says, they were to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Uh, Job of old said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. If we could uh, realize that God's word is food to our souls, and we seek to be we would seek to be fed by it, we would be fed by it. Remember, Jesus said to the great temptation, to, to the tempter, to the devil, the accuser, and to Satan, He said, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And if we counted God's word as essential to our spiritual life, as we count our natural